I really quickly realized that that really one has a CMO has to think like a CFO. And so that's what keeps me up at night. And, and there's a saying that I kind of started saying in meetings. I say, I think like a CFO, act like a CRO and talk like a CMO. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram, you're welcome to another Flip My Home podcast. I haven't actually done a whole bunch of them in the last month or so since I've been traveling, uh, doing a, the road show and stuff. And one of the, uh, I was speaking at G2 conference and I met this incredible person in Denmark who said, man, I use your software. I'll follow your, your content, some of it. And I'm like, yeah, that's just crazy because you are incredibly, and as I learned more about Denmark, he's like incredibly amazing CMO who went on, helped his company go become a unicorn. I'm like, we got to talk about what keeps you up at night as a CMO, things that you care about, because there's a lot of marketers and sales leaders listening to it. They just sometimes wonder, what does a CMO do, right? And what hat do they wear? So we're going to just jump into that. But Denmark, thanks for being on the show. And let's start with a fun fact about yourself and, and then slow roll into your story. Awesome. Well, Sangram, thanks for having me. Yes, we did meet at the G2 conference. You know, we got we to gotta thank our guys at G2 and Didard and his team. Fantastic, you know, event that they put together. Obviously, your shoes got a lot of attention. <laughs> and I think it still does to this day. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing about those, Denmark, is I don't know if I told you this, but this is literally on a website called uh, Etsy, and you said customkicks.com, and this guy literally does this in his basement and create these custom shoes. So I keep sending it to people. So he's like turned that into a real business as I think he's quitting his day job and doing this because he, I just referenced like customkicks.com. I mean, he can create that. Yeah. So I'll stop there, but it was like, it's funny. It's, it's actually turned into a real business for this guy. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. I think it's the next level of swag. Instead of having stickers on your lap, you can yes. have stuff on your shoes. And I think those are great giveaways because then you can wear them, you know, and not just take them to a laptop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's really fun. I like those and obviously people like them as well at the conference. Yeah, so talk about a fun fact about yourself and then just share a little bit about your journey. Yeah, fun fact. I'm actually an immigrant. I was born and raised in Manila in the Philippines. And I came to America, obviously, with my parents. And the fun fact is I'm actually, my background in school is finance and accounting. And uh, which is really, really interesting It's uh, I, I think some folks find that quite different in the sense that I actually used to work for PricewaterhouseCoopers and Deloitte Consulting in tax and real estate taxes, actually, specifically. So fun fact, I'm an accountant. I'm a bit of a nerd. I've uh, been on the web since 1995. For those of you who's been on the web, you know, ICQ, Merck, right, as our chat uh, and, and, and pre- Free, uh, Napster era when we were sharing music at the time. So I've uh, been on the web for, for quite some time and, and uh, here I am dealing in marketing. You know, I don't know how I found myself there, but uh, specifically internet, I just knew I wanted to work in the internet. So I made a, a career move back in 2008. That is pretty cool. I don't know if you knew this, but dude, we are, we have such a similar background. So my first job, like real job 
was with Deloitte Consulting. And I was running no. Sarbanes-Oxley audit and compliance in 2004 <laughs> when that came out. Like, dude, we have such a similar background. Not, not I was at Deloitte at that time or right before then. Or right, you were there before me, but yeah. Yeah, it was like, hey, if you can you read and write, great. You're doing Sarbanes-Oxley because they're making so much money with that compliance after Enron and everything. So, oh my goodness, yeah. we, we have a very similar background. So, so you have been a very successful marketer, CMO. We also talked about copywriting, so we're going to get into it. But as a CMO, what keeps mm-hmm. you up at night? What's your job? You know, what keeps me as a CMO up at night is, is essentially pipeline, right? Because as, as, as some, what I would call money guys, uh, the, the, the CFOs of the world, the private equities of the world, the venture capitalists of the world, there's a good saying in that universe and they say uh, money talks, bullshit walks, right? Or, or, or something like that or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it, it's really interesting because, you know, having the business acumen from New York, I really quickly realized that, that really one has, a CMO has to think like a CFO. And so that's what keeps me up at night. And, and there's a saying that I kind of started saying in meetings. I say, I think like a CFO, act like a CRO and talk like a CMO. <laughs> right. Think and, like and a so CFO, act like what? A CRO. Okay. And talk like a CMO. Right. Yeah. And the reason for that is at the end of the day, you know, really the three executives, the CRO, the CMO and the CFO, they're all in the same boat. Right. And it's being steered by the CEO or the co-founders or the board. Right. Most likely. And what keeps me up at night is, number one, are we all aligned together in our goals? That's number one. And number two, what's the future revenue and income looking like? Right. What really keeps me up at night is, is really what the future looks like. Right. Not necessarily the past problems that we have or things that aren't working. Right. Like what's the target and what's the goal? Right. And, and, and sometimes we get stuck in the minutia of why things don't work, we, we forgot what the actual target is, right? And, you know, I had a, a great CEO that I worked with, and he said this to me when I first came on. He said, then, Mark, I don't want you to be a consultant for me. I want you to be my CMO, and I want you to be my executive. And what that means is, you know, if you can have 80 to 85% confidence rate in your decision-making process, that's good enough for me. Because the 90 to 97% is a complete waste of time. You're looking for perfection, right? So there's the other portion of that where perfection is an absolute, right? An absolute is completely, it doesn't even exist in this planet, right? So if you have the ability to make decisions on 80 to 85%, obviously that's good. So number one, what keeps me up at night is the future of any organization that I'm with. And within that organization, what that income and revenue looks like. That's really, the income and revenue really is just a scoreboard. That's really all it represents to me. It doesn't represent more than, than, than the resources and the energy to continue what the organization is trying to do. And each organization is different, right? They have their own goals and they have their own purposes. And some organizations want to sell to a larger organization. Some organizations want to go unicorn status. Some organizations want to stay private. And I don't get in the way of that, right? I actually asked the founders, specifically the co-founders, if there are more than one, why they built the company, right? Because I find that the original idea, the original purpose of why it was built, that to me is pure. And I'm a purist in that sense, right? Of like, what is the goal? Because sometimes, you know, I've, I've gone into organizations, I've been in and out of organizations for the last, what, 13 years now. I've consulted for about, I think, 50 companies. 
And, and in the beginning of my consultancy, and by the way, the only reason why I got into consulting is because Ray Worldwide hired me, right? Ray was uh, an ad agency in New York. This is like a number of years back. And they're like, we're just going to pay you as a consultant. I was like, you'll pay me as a consultant to do what now? They're like, well, we just want to know how you do what you do. I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do now in my life. And, and I remember, you know, I don't know how I got into that, but, you know, if you look at all of these companies I've worked for, and I, in the beginning, I tried to fit companies into what I think was right for them, which is completely false. It's false. The world doesn't work the way Denmark Francisco thinks it works, right? It, the, the, the companies and the co-founders and the founders, they function the way they built the company. And so number one, what is the original idea of why the company was built? And how can I help that process? Right. As a CMO, as a marketer, like what's the original idea and where do we want to take it and what does the future look like? So that's what keeps me up at night is number one, what's the future look like? Number two, what's the future income looking like? What's the pipeline? I mean, obviously you and I are both ABM. Obviously yeah. you're the father of that. And then you've been bannering that idea. And I've believed in that idea since the beginning. And I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, all that matters is income, which is what we'll talk about shortly, which is I think that uh, a CRO and a CMO should be guided by the same number, which is revenue. Yeah. You know? You know that, so I, yeah, this is fascinating. And I already took like a page and a half worth of notes. So it's going to be fun um, already. Two things you talked about, and I'm going to double down at least from one of them. One is the whole idea of like 80% confidence and just go, right? Like I think there's the whole talk around like, and I, I, I put it on LinkedIn a few days ago, which got gone crazy was that, Everybody around you that is not in marketing thinks that they know what to do in marketing. Yeah. Everybody who's not in marketing knows exactly what you should be doing in marketing. And they're wondering, yeah. why are you not doing it, right? So they, you know, yeah. marketing has become this thing like, why are you not creating videos? Why are you not creating case studies? Why are you not creating LinkedIn? Why? It's, it's like, a, like everybody knows what marketing should do, except the marketer, obviously. So there's, there's yeah. some truth and a lot of faults there. Or just yeah. and the other and, and that and I think that has happened because marketing organizations for the most part have kind of almost taken a step back and have started started to do the standard checklist of things like blogs of three blogs a week, an ebook a month, mm-hmm. a webinar every quarter, and, and and they have their own checklist that they follow through. Whereas the modern organizations and things like, for example, like today, literally today as we're recording this thing, I just launched my LinkedIn newsletter. Right now, is there a marketing plan for it? No. Is there something that I had to permission for? No. Uh, did I create a <laughs> person to like create graphics? No. I just wrote something. Yeah. And I'm testing, and I'll test it for next month or two. If it works, then I will involve other people to say, "Hey, look!" But the testing, the experimenting, is like at a hyper speed in in some organizations, and some are just waiting to do it. So, as a CMO, mm-hmm. how do you continue? to hold on to what works and you know what's the right thing to do versus all these pressures from everywhere that's saying that try new, do different things and and figure something mm. out. Um, and some are legit, some are not, but how do you keep up with that? Number one, you know, I have I have a, a managerial philosophy that's really become a policy in, in, in the way I operate, which is managed by statistics, right? Managed by KPI. That's that's number one. The, you know, if you've ever worked with me, any client that's ever, you know, worked with me knows the first thing that I do is look at numbers and, and, and I call that data analysis. And, and for those, there's the way different ways to call it. KPIs is another one, right? 
But we look at KPIs, and I look at KPIs specifically for one reason. Number one, it's going to show me the current condition of the organization, including marketing, including sales, including customer success, right? Including the finance of the organization and how healthy the finance of the organization is. And so that's number one, is, is, is really managing by statistics and numbers first. And what I find a lot in, in organizations that I've consulted for, that I've assisted, two of which have become unicorns, obviously two acquisitions, is that the, the, the most successful action that these organizations that succeed or continue to operate at a high level is that they agree to the number. Now, they may not necessarily like be operating, you know, the marketing person is thinking a, different, a little differently than, than the salesperson at the beginning, but that when that meeting happens and when we, before we get out of that board meeting or before we get out of the exec meeting, we agree on those numbers. And, and, and as you know, a number is really meaningless by itself. And this is one of the things that happens in, in when, I, when I consult with organizations. They'll, they'll take a single digit number and, and think that that's like this, this like Bible, right? There's this like senior thing. But I always tell them I, 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 one piece of data without being compared to another piece of data is useless. A number by itself is useless. You have to be able to compare it to something else, right? This is classic statistical analysis, right? For, for those stat majors on the, on the line, and we obviously I hire very, very smart individuals. We all agree to this. I said, what number are we comparing this number with? When somebody says, this is good, this is bad, this is ugly, this is beautiful. I'm like, compared to what? Yeah. What is that compared to? So number one is, is, is taking a look at the numbers first to see how the current pipeline is looking specifically for marketing sanity and sales sanity, how the close one revenue has been, right? And what I come to find a lot is this. In organizations, and, and you may have this, you may experience it in your career, you have, you have a chart that goes kind of like up and down, up and down, up and down, right? Well, that's a psychotic chart, right? And, and, and that is a definition of the word psychotic, somebody or something that's up one day, down the next, up the next, down the next. So uh, <laughs> I find that I, and I do experience this in, in, in organizations, right? Organizations can actually go kind of crazy. They'll, they'll try something that they've never done before and forget the rest, right? And this is when they hire, this is actually the only reason why I have a job as a consultant is because I say, guys, let's look at what's successful, what's causing your successes. In the last three years, how have you generated 80% of your revenue, 80-20 rule, right? And I come to find that these, these quote unquote old things that they've done are no longer being done. They're being abandoned. So to answer your question, right, how do I stay afloat in all of the new ideas? Number one, I don't violate the affluence condition, which is to do things that you've done that works and that you know that works, not new things untried, right? This is actually one of the biggest mistakes that any marketing team, any executive, or any department really does is they forget the old proven ways or because it's old and it's the way it's been done and they start doing things that they've never tried. And I say, you know, guys, let's, let's take a look at the numbers. Is it, if it's working, let's keep it, right? And if yep. we need to hire one person to keep it going or maybe the person that's been there the longest should keep doing that thing. And then let's try to do new things, but do it in a proof of concept phase, maybe three to four months at a time. And so if, if the POC fails, it doesn't hurt our numbers, mm. right? And it's a very analytical way and very scientific way, but the art is working with the people to get their agreements on that. Because if I can show them a graph that, that says, wait, look, 
two and a half years ago, you were doing action A, mm. and then right after July, it, dri- it dropped and it's never recovered. What were you doing right. at that point? And one for one, it's never failed. I guarantee some action was changed somewhere. So, you know, when you hear of these new ideas from your peers, and, and yes, other individuals in the company think that they're the best marketers, yeah. and that's totally fine. I, I also think I'm the best customer service person, so it's okay, or the best CFO, um, yeah. so it's fair for everyone. Um, but, but to answer your question, really, is, is number one, keep the successful actions, double down on those things, even if, even if they're old or it's been, it's been the old way of doing something, and then do things on a POC basis. Yeah. to see if it shifts the number up. And if it doesn't, it just didn't work for that company right now. Or maybe we could take a look again at, in terms of what we skipped in the idea or execution of the new thing. Yeah, you know, that, that's really interesting. I always feel like most companies have maybe one or two things that actually work, but mm-hmm. because they get jaded by doing that, they abandon it mm-hmm. and try the new squirrel. Mm-hmm. So for example, I feel like Salesforce, the thing that has worked for them is having this big Dreamforce and the Salesforce One Tour and doing very customer-centric mm-hmm. things. And they've done it for the last 20 years. And I've been mm-hmm. successful doing it. Uh, the things that, and, and they didn't do necessarily, now they're doing some podcasts and stuff, but they never make it bigger and more important than Dreamforce, which is kind of their mm-hmm. thing. And, and every company has something that works. Maybe for your company, maybe events is a, you are just good at it. And, and it may just come from a, like Salesforce. That's how Benioff operates. So he wants big, splashy mm-hmm. things. He wants to bring a thousands of people together. I mean, that's his personality. So it works really well. You already found of figuring out what the founder wants or the CEO wants and replicate that because we need his or her approval and support more mm-hmm. importantly to drive it. If they're not excited, things are just not going to work. And even if they work, he, he or she will always find issues with that. So I love, love is like figure out what actually works for your organization and just double down on that and, and keep, keep experimenting on the other side. Now, you meant you're not connected on this like obvious t- point of ABM. And you said, man, yeah. deploying ABM was one of the most phenomenal things that helped your company <laughs> unicorn and all these things. I'm yeah. like, we got to talk. And, uh, and yeah. we like Denmark Francisco, who doesn't want to talk to somebody with the name Denmark uh, Francisco? So, Tell me what, how did you get into ABM as much as you can? Love for you to share mm-hmm. what kind of success mm-hmm. have you seen because of, again, no tool, you know, you don't have to mention anything except like what, what worked for you? Number one, I tell this every company I've ever worked with, every, you know, every professional I've worked with, I said, I am agnostic when it comes to technology. I'm completely technologically agnostic, platform agnostic. What I'm focused on is problem solving. That's really what I'm focused on. Now, the beautiful thing is tech founders and individuals who are, have really brilliant minds are thinking, wow, I can actually create a platform, right? This is why the whole SaaS platform it has just blown up in the last decade. If you really think about like just the trajectory, right? Everyone's got a platform for something now. And, and for me, you know, when I go into any organization, I always say, what's the main challenges that you have? And when you and I actually met, and the reason why I came up to you is to actually thank you for creating Terminus, right? If you remember that, I was like, hey, man, thanks for creating Terminus. They helped me create a unicorn to help this company becoming a unicorn. And he said, well, how did you do that? I think your questions were like, what was the, some of the tactics that you had? And, and really what, what got your ear perked up is how I used it in the upsell phase instead yes. of just the new income phase. And then you're like, well, how did you, why did you even do it that way? And, and I'm going to take a step back. Uh, as a CMO, 
I'm really concerned not only about new bookings, which is the most important part of the job. I'm also concerned about the upsell and the re-signing, right? And this is something that I learned from a gentleman named Mitch Wader. Mitch Wader was the CMO of DigitalOcean, whom I consulted for a long, long time ago. Mitch is very successful. He's now the CMO at Clubhouse.io, and they're taking on Atlassian's business. And Mitch is probably one of the greatest growth hackers I've ever worked with, and he knows this. I said, maybe in a different life, him and I would have had our own agency. I said that to him the day that I was walking out of DigitalOcean, and he, and he, he definitely smiled, and he still continues to be a, a very good friend of mine. And, and at DigitalOcean, back in the early days, they're a cloud hosting company. What I quickly realized with Mitch is that he said something so brilliant. He says, you know, the dollar today, if you acquire a customer today, you should be able to continue that, right? And the way we account for that is called churn rate, right? That's really churn, right? That's what we call churn. Now, if, you could, if you've won a customer in day one, you should be able to win them in day 580, mm. right? And so this is one of the things I thought of as a CMO. It's like, wait a minute. I guess I'm focused about new bookings and need generation on that level, but I'm also focused on keeping the customers happy and keeping them updated. But I'm also focused about making sure that they re-sign and they buy to continue to buy and buy more. Right? right. The reason for that is, as you know, you know, you've been in plenty of exec meetings, right? The CFO always looks at the CMO and says, what did you spend our money on and how much did you get back for it? Right. That's no, kind of I, like the nobody answers that question. I mean, exactly what I just said. Well, I mean, there's many ways. To it. No, there's only one way to look at it. Like, how many dollars back? Uh, That's right. <laughs> and so I think like a CFO and I, what I tell a CFO is, listen, for every dollar that you've given me, I've been able to generate $5 or $6 or $7 or whatever the number is for that company, right? And so where you and I came in and, and really how I used and how I've used ABM is not only for reaching out and, and what I would call infiltrating, right? A, a military term, infiltrating companies to take interest in terms of what I'm selling or help sell. That's number one. And that's really, it would, I mean, ABM platforms are really, really good at that. Terminus is very good at that. You guys account the back end is, is all there. But what I started to use it for was for upsell and for customers that were that needed to be resigned, right? And the reason for this is this. This is the insight. I looked in terms of the traffic numbers at a company that I was with. I won't name it who, but obviously Dow Unicorn. And I realized that that customers from existing like companies, right? started to come to the site. And I said, well, why are they coming to the site? And, and me being an accountant nerd, and, and, and I love, you know, I'm just an accounting mind, I guess. I, I calculated this. I did an ad hoc analysis. And I said, why are they coming to the site? And not, what rate are they coming on? And the insight that I had actually came a little bit from e-commerce when I was dealing with e-commerce back in New York, different life. And what I realized with this B2B SaaS platform company that I was helping is that the, the companies that were coming to the site repetitively, right, they were increasing their visits within the last three to four months hmm. of when they needed to essentially re-sign for the account. Right. And I said, that's interesting, right? Why are they coming to the site at the last three to four months? Number one, the insight was three to four months prior to, right? But even greater than that, what gave me the indicator was they were coming to the site heavily in the last month. That was like huge, right? Like multiple people or just? Multiple people, multiple visits from an organization. As you know, there's reverse IP now, right? Yeah. We've had that for a number of years. So I looked, I was like, why are these folks coming? And at number one, I said, well, why are they coming or who are they? 
And then why are they coming? And what I realized is there were existing customers coming to the site heavily in the last month. And then I, I progressed even and took the next step. I said, are they coming in the last two months? Mm. And why? Because I wanted to know why, right? That was the question in my mind. Why are, who was visiting and why? And when I saw that insight, there were two things that I concluded. Number one, they were about to churn. So they were looking for a reason to not resign, right? That's number one. And this is, man, this is a, an organization problem that not a lot of organizations are trying to figure out right now. Uh, they were trying to justify canceling the account or they're trying to justify keeping the account. That was it. That was it. And, and I realized this. I was like, oh, they're coming to the site to see if anything is new, if anything's improved. Are they coming to the site to see if we fixed the problem that they were trying to solve? Yeah. Right? Do they have like so features or something like that that could address the issue that they have been going on? Yeah. That's right. And you know this. Like, and as if you deal with customer success as a C-level and as a co-founder, you, you deal with everyone pretty much in the company. You ask your, your VP of customer success or head of customer service, I said, and, and you ask them, hey, how fast are these science of ours? How fast are they spitting up? Yeah. the software or the thing that we're selling. And number one, that's indicator number one, are they spinning it or are they launching it at the, at the expected time that we think they should launch it? And number two, do they continue to use it, yeah. right? So I as a CMO, I, I monitored those things. Mm-hmm. I got involved in customer success. I got involved in, in customer support, right? Because I wanted to know, is what I'm selling really valuable, number one? And number two, are they using it? Yeah. And number three, will they continue to use it? Because here's, here's the CFO question, right? If the CFO gives me a dollar this year, it's not like he's going to give me $10 next year in my budget. Yeah. But I'm asked as a CMO to continue to grow the revenue with sales, right? So the only way I can protect that work, because since I've done the work on day one, is to make sure that the customers I've already sold continue to buy. So it creates a baseline for us, right? And in customer success and ABM, what I started doing, tactically speaking, and this is probably important for those listening, is I started using ABM platforms to reach out to customers who are about to churn or who needed to resign. So first I started with customers that was resigning or that was uh, their contracts were up that month. I pushed that back to two months right? And the resign rate increased, yeah. right? Or it didn't go down any further. I went back even three months and still didn't have a negative effect. Mm. And then we went back four months. And nobody knew I was doing this, by the way, because uh, <laughs> I, I felt like I didn't want to ask permission from my team. Yeah. But I did that. I took the existing customer base that was about to resign to another contract four months ahead in advance. And wow. then I started telling the VP of customer success, saying, listen, call back the people two, three, four months ahead in advance. And now an organization is literally re-signing their customers four months ahead in advance. So guess what's happening to the revenue number? Yeah. I mean, it continues like, to grow. It doesn't dip. Yeah. Oh man, I, I love that. Dude, this is this is this is mind blowing. All right. So let me let me try to summarize some of the big takeaways. And I want you to share a big challenge with everybody who's listening and trying to figure out like, all right, what do I do tomorrow? Like a little bit practical around those things. Um, so first and foremost, I love love this idea that hey, you look whoever you're aspiring to be, just you need to you need to almost think and act like the person that you are actually serving the most, or the one who's probably going to have the most questions for you. So I like the way you said that as as somebody in your role who's constantly figuring things out, and as an aspiring CMO, to think like a CFO, 
act like a CRO and talk like a CMO, I'd be like, man, that's like a three-headed person. Like, try, how, how do you do that? But it makes sense because CFO has the money and they're making, they're always asking what works, what doesn't work. And, and so you need yep. to be best friends with your CFO. Your CRO actually has pretty much your job in the pocket. If your CRO says, I don't know what Denmark does over there, they just create pretty, you know, things, then no matter what you do, you've lost trust and thereby partnership with them. And a CMO, if you're running a team, they need to know and you need to understand what to say, when to say, and what priorities to work on. I love that. The second big idea I heard from you was about like, you got 70 to 80% confidence. Don't wait to be perfect. Just go do it, figure out what it works. I love that. I I think perfection is enemy in in many ways for great marketing companies to to do anything. The third one is, I, I love when you said, and you talked about that, hey, look, you always look at numbers, but you don't look at numbers by itself. You look at comparative, which means that you always need to know are you going up or down compared to yesterday or tomorrow or a benchmark study or not? Don't look at numbers in vacuum and say, wow, well, we had 10,000 downloads. So what? From where? Compared to what? Is it good? So I'll, I love that idea. And then finally, the last one, and there are many others we might include in the show notes and the blog post on flipmyfunnel.com. It is idea of like no permission. Like you just went in, saw a problem, you saw the traffic kind of changing. You're like, you know, let me try something here. And you did it at work. And then you went back and said, hey, let's do this thing because here's some proof that I have. Not 100%, but enough for them to say, let's start doing that, turn the the company in a a really, really forward direction. So that's a lot of really, really fun stuff. So what is the one challenge you would love to share with anybody who's listening to this and saying, man, I, I want to be a CMO? You know, I, I, the one thing I challenge any marketer or any really anyone in, in marketing is put your neck on the line on that revenue number. Mm. I mean, really, if you're if you're going to be good and you're going to claim that you're good at what you're going to do and you're going to be a professional and a definition of a professional is somebody who can deliver what they promise for a valuable exchange. And what greater value is there that we all realize than money? And I know for some folks that's like taboo to talk about money, but that's the scoreboard. Right. So if you're a marketer, put your neck on the line, man, like say, hey, I'm going to be responsible for that revenue number as much as the CRO is going to be. And man, what happens is this. And until you experience it, you won't know, which is magic starts to be created within the organization. The, the teams start to align instead of this friction and saying, well, they're responsible for this and they're responsible for that. Well, instead, the team goes, we're all responsible for our revenue number. Yeah. And it becomes amazing, right? And it becomes this like, until you really experience it, it, it's really quite something else for a marketer because you're like, oh my goodness, we got an uplift of $3 million that we didn't even know where it was going to come. We didn't even know it was there. It's because the teams got together. It was like, hey, customer success has a reference for us or a referral for us. And this guy said he wanted to try it. And that lead didn't even come from a marketing channel. But since we were all judged by revenue, right? And we were compensated for that. And this is the other thing that, that uh, at Know Before, which is well known, we had an organizational bonus structure. Like our executive assistant got the same bonus as, you know, Stu Showerman, who's the CEO. Meaning that if you reach certain monthly revenue goals as a company, everybody got the same cash bonus. By the way, you can read about this on glassdoor.com about them. And um, I really found that really amazing. It's because the friction of who's responsible for what became we are responsible for our organization. 
we are responsible for our revenue, right? It's no longer in silos. And so that's my challenge is put your neck on the line. If you get fired, fine, you'll get another job. Don't worry, it's not going to kill you, you know? Yeah, that's my challenge. Put your neck on the line for the revenue. One team. I love that. Thank you so much, man. Super appreciate you being on the show. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.